0: Hi, I'm Dr. Frankie and welcome to Vision of Health, the podcast where I talk to qualified experts about what being healthy really looks like. Through our conversations, we'll bridge the gap between the scientific evidence base and you, the everyday person who just wants to live a healthier lifestyle. I am very much on a mission to provide evidence-based educational content and practical tips that you can actually implement in your everyday lives. Our wonderful sponsors, Femfresh, who have supported me for a number of years now, share the same vision, to open up conversations on taboo subjects, to bust the health myths and improve women's health. Femfresh are not only industry leaders in women's intimate hygiene products, but also committed on educating on all things women's health and this podcast just wouldn't be possible without their support. You can also catch on socials at femfresh underscore UK and on their website, femfresh.co.uk. I'm Dr. Frankie, and this is my vision of health. Nutrition is one of the most fundamental pillars of our health and with all the emerging research about the importance of our gut microbiome, not just for our digestion but for our wider health, our approach to nutrition has never been more important and our next guest is here to set the facts straight. Rhiannon Lambert is one of the UK's leading nutritionists. She's the founder of the renowned Hardy Street Nutrition Clinic, Retrition, She's a Sunday Times best-selling author of the book, The Science of Nutrition, and more recently, her latest book, The Science of Plant-Based Nutrition. She is the founder of evidence-based supplements company, Retrition Plus, and she's also the host of chart-topping podcast, Food for Thought. Enrolling to study nutrition at university was a life-changing decision for Yannin, and one that in part she was driven to from first-hand experience of how easily we can get swept up into unhealthy relationships and dysfunctional relationships with food and how the pressures to look a certain way can lead us to the pursuit of dietary quick fixes which are a world away from a relaxed and healthy enjoyment of food. With her experience and knowledge, Rhiannon and her team believe in the science-based approach, that cold, hard facts that inform the way we think about food in a way that's never been done before. Rhiannon, thank you so much for coming on Vision of Health.
1: Oh, hi, Frankie. I'm delighted to be here. We're going to have so much to
0: talk about today. So much to talk about. I'm so happy to have you on. I have obviously followed your nutrition journey for years. I remember when I was a medical student coming to your book launch at the Royal Albert Hall
1: back in the day. I can't believe it. You know, I look back at that time. And it was a bit of a whirlwind because there were no other nutritionists actually at that time, really, that were doing a lot on social media as well. And I feel like the growth in the last few years. But let's just talk about how amazing the Royal Albert Hall was. I look back and gosh, what a dream. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. It's
0: been great to see you go from strength to strength. I'll jump straight into the questions because we've got an hour and I have so much to ask you. You're so knowledgeable. We live in a population where the rates of all diseases are on the rise, rates of cancer, obesity, type 2 diabetes and mental health conditions are on the rise. Do you think this is in part to do with our nutrition?
1: Oh, absolutely. Sadly, as well, you know, the rates of these conditions are on the rise, you know, metabolic related diseases. But the problem is, it's filtrating down to the future generations. So we're raising a future generation of children that are more likely to be obese, that are more likely to experience and, you know, develop type two diabetes as a side effect of that as well. So nutrition has never been more important. But yet, we're in the place where I still don't see and I'm not a political person, but I do not really see see the government doing anything with a particular nutrition focus or hiring registered nutritionists or dietitians like myself in order to champion a change. So our dietary behaviors are obviously one factor, and I should also say the environment where you live, your budget every week. You know, we know that with ultra-processed food consumption, if you are from a more deprived area and you do not have the income, you are likely to have a diet that's 80% made up of ultra-processed foods compared to 60%, which is still a bad stat that we have for the general public. How much you exercise, the lifestyle that you lead, the amount of sleep you get. There's various factors, but you cannot deny the impact that diet can have on our health. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I
0: treat cancer patients and all the time I'm offering them these treatments and I'm like, you can also do these things for yourself. Like they're not going to necessarily cure or prevent, but they are part of a wider management program. And I think, you know, it's great to see, I don't know if it's just my social media echo chamber, but it's great to see more of a focus on nutrition. That being said, you know, you quoted a stat there that we're still eating a high amount of ultra processed foods. Mm. Where are we going wrong with our nutrition? (sighs)
1: Such a big question, Frankie, because, I don't want to demonize food. There is a place for all foods. I think food is fantastic. It should be enjoyed. We should be allowed to make a free choice and a decision in what we consume. But the problem is the vast majority of our diets have now moved further and further away from cooking from scratch. And in reality, the only way that you can be sure that you're getting the beneficial nutrients an abundance is from seeing what goes into your food. And a lot of people just are not aware of the amount of salt, the amount of sugar, the amount of saturated fat. And then additionally, we've got emerging research of the health implications of putting emulsifiers and preservatives into our food to extend shelf life. Now, there's a place for these elements in our diet. And if you look on the back of a packet, most people can't decipher a lot of the long list of ingredients. You can have a wrap for lunch that's got like a 100 different ingredients mm. in it. And that's purely because you are... having to create a wrap that sits there for at least a week on the shop shelves the reality of the fact is we are designed as human beings and this is a very simplistic approach I'm about to discuss but we're designed to eat food as a whole you know we've got something called the food matrix which is where thousands of individual compounds of food are designed to be eaten as a whole, like take a whole apple, a whole carrot, a whole piece of broccoli, instead of taking broccoli essence or broccoli powder and putting it into an ultra processed food item, we should be consuming that whole broccoli in order to get the bioavailability within our body. So we've got a problem, The food we're consuming is not giving us the nutrition we need. It's also become more available. So the amount of ultra processed food means more calories readily available, more energy in the food that's releasing very rapidly into our bodies because we've already broken it down. If you think about it, what example can I use today? Let's take a, let's take a potato. Okay, you've got the potato skin. You've got the outer layers, you go into the core. It's going to take your body a bit of time to break down a potato as it is. But if you turn it into a crisp or if you're listening in America, a chip or, you know, Mm -hmm. the different complexities of diet, you are absorbing probably all the calories in that crisp, whereas there's still some fiber in a whole potato once it's cooked that slows the rate a, a fraction. So we are just not consuming food in the way that potentially it's meant to be consumed. Doesn't make it bad, but we need to reduce the amount of ultra processed foods. It's causing weight gain, it's causing all sorts of problems.
0: Yeah, I think I kind of naturally have that approach without necessarily knowing the science behind it. You know, people demonize. label food in the same way for example not all sandwiches are equal no you make a sandwich from scratch it's not the same as buying it from a petrol station that's been there a week
1: got the stats on that and actually the study I think it was back in 2019 it's hard because COVID catches up with me and I'm like what was that time (laughs) but we've got research that looked at a sandwich made with American sliced processed cheese and a sandwich that was made with cheddar that someone had just bought straight from the shop in more of a natural state let's say most food minimally processed is totally fine but obviously we're looking at that delicious melty man manipulated cheese that everyone loves to have on a burger at a fast food joint the calories that you absorbed from the sandwich with the you know plasticky cheese was like 60% more than the calories you'd absorb from the sandwich that was made from scratch with homemade bread, with a slice of cheese that was on it. So it's got a more detrimental impact on the body than the one that was made with fresher ingredients. We're talking they had the same amount of calories in them, but you got more from the ultra-processed food version than the one that was made from scratch. And this is because of those amazing phytonutrients, the food matrix, because of the fiber in the food. The things that we lose when we break everything down and mold it and mash it into something that's ultra-processed. So calories aren't equal? No, absolutely not. They're 30% inaccurate on the packets. It's 120 years old, the calculation, when you look at it. I'm not saying they're not important. I do think people should have a rough understanding of their energy intake. I think anybody needs to have something that holds them accountable every day. But you're better off focusing on the quality and quantity of food rather than just using it as a numerical calculation. Calories are very helpful in sports nutrition. But when I'm talking public health nutrition on a level that stems down into all age groups in society, I would prefer to look at let's get more plants in, let's get better quality of food rather than focusing on numbers things are constantly
0: changing. I can see why it's confusing for people. You know, you touched on ultra-processed foods there. That seems to be on the hit list at the moment, as do plant milks and seed oils a few years ago it was that we were avoiding carbohydrates and we were avoiding fats it seems like we have this generational
1: kind of trend yeah i've seen a lot of trends i've kind of got to a point where you know i remember when protein bars were really big and when i was at university let's start with the whole low fat thing it was obviously everyone's talking about oh low fat yogurts have got extra sugar to compensate for the taste cuz fats tasty and then you take the fat out and that's the compensation factor nowadays It could be anything. I I feel like I'm seeing the most bizarre myths online. I saw a pill the other day that some huge influencer had created for people to take to prevent them from having a glucose spike after having a bowl of pasta or eating a piece of cake. It's actually terrifying because you shouldn't be saying to people, oh, I need to have a pill to eat a bit of pasta. (laughs) Mm. Or and it's just gone from one extreme to the other. And I think think the rationale behind this is that everybody is desperate to take control of their health because everybody is panicking. Therefore, everyone is going to social media. We know 60% of people go to social media to look for health advice now instead of seeing a health professional. It's frightening. It's terrifying, especially for me because nutrition isn't regulated. Where we're going wrong is that no one is holding these people accountable for what they're saying Mm -hmm. because the term nutritionist, anyone can call themselves one, I've got two degrees and more qualifications to my name and I call myself a registered nutritionist someone that's done a course for three days can call themselves a nutritionist so how do you know online who to trust Mm. it gets really complicated for people
0: so trying to get into some of those myths people might have heard that are listening who may be confused can we break those down so ultra processed foods can we go into a bit more detail about that what is an ultra processed food and are there any that are good for us
1: yeah no, it's okay. Let's start with a really good analogy of every food is processed in a way because we've put it in a packet or we've picked it from the farm and it's gone to a factory where it's been washed and then it's put in a can. Let's use chickpeas. It's a really nice example of beans and pulses, lentils in a can that's minimally processed and there's a classification called Nova, which is how we classify different foods it's It's all right. It could do with a bit of an update, I think, but That's an example of a healthy item of processed food. Mm -hmm. And we like to refer to that in the scientific community as minimally processed. Whereas when you look at ultra processed, I'm talking about your delicious biscuits, your cake in a packet on the go, even your, your croissants and things. Don't say that. I know. But, you know, if you make it fresh at home, it's a different story. But who realistically has time? It doesn't mean these ultra processed foods are really bad to have every now and again. But they definitely shouldn't be part of your everyday diet. And the problem is the healthy ultra-processed food items in disguise. So I think we use the example of the sandwiches and the paninis, often things even in these fast food chains that call themselves salads, whereas actually the amount of dressing and the melted cheese and the extra additives that they've put in it to preserve it to sit there have made it a ultra-processed item. So the problem isn't the food items itself. It's the way the food has then been manipulated by us human beings. And the less manipulation in some cases, the better. But then, you know, I think there's no harm in having... Cake or (laughs) a burger every now and again. I love a plant burger and I have those occasionally. It's when they seep into our diet unwittingly every Mm. day in those meal deals in the supermarkets that it becomes a bit of a problem.
0: Yeah, it's so important to look at diet as a whole. Like what do you eat over the whole week or month rather than what did you eat in that one meal?
1: I could have sat here and been completely scaremongery and thought, oh, this is what people want to know. Because the reality is, our children in the UK, potentially, there's research that we eat more ultra processed foods than any other westernized Mm. country that's terrifying to me you know I'm a mom I've got two young boys and the thought of them growing up in a society that's so unhealthy where our kids in this country are being fed ultra processed foods instead of a variety of fresh ingredients Mm. it's not one I love but I have to be realistic and think you can take control of your diet we need to help people we need to help them utilize their freezer we need to help them understand you can cook more it might just take an hour of your time one evening you'll save money And you'll get a better option for your family if you batch cook. And we just have to kind of get that message out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that's been quite helpful with that message has been
0: all this emerging research about the gut microbiome. I hope gut health and the gut microbiome is not just this year's trend. Because actually, I've been following the research since I was a medical student, which has Mm. been, you know, over the last 10 years. And we are really just... You know, it's like tip of the iceberg. Now we're really just um, scraping the surface with with that evidence. Can you tell us a bit about why the gut microbiome is so important and why mm. everyone's talking about it?
1: So, first of all, the gut is our second brain. And it's a really important area of nutrition because it's your digestive system. We're talking about it being like meters and meters long, the size of a football pitch if you unraveled everything sometimes. You know, you're really looking at this massive surface area of interaction that's happening every day. And we call it the gut-brain axis. So imagine something called the vagus nerve, but we have got this kind of feedback loop that goes consistently between our brain and our gut. And what's happening there is it's talking. We're not telling our bodies when we're hungry. It's our gut sending a signal up to our brain, which then sends a signal back to the stomach to prepare it for the digestive process. And it's remarkable, even just looking at a piece of food, and I've always, I think you probably remember this, Rebecca, I always used to use this example of you look at an apple, your mouth knows there's an apple coming because your brain's made that connection that gets your pH ready in your stomach, your digestive system seems to know what enzymes to produce to break down an apple in your mouth. It's, it's remarkable. So our gut health is important. And one of the first things we always ask in the nutrition clinic is we try to understand regular bowel movements, how people's digestion is, because the more healthy the digestive system, the more likely you are to be absorbing in the small intestine the nutrients you require to be healthy and free from disease or free from deficiencies. And the more regular means you're reduced risk of of course things like cancers. We're looking at bowels are really important. So that's why gut health's important. But there's now this emerging research, and I will say it's still emerging, that the gut is so much more that we have living bacteria that live towards the end of the digestive system in the colon and that living kind of microorganism, people call it the gut microbiome. Our gut microbiota is this amazing kind of world. It's like this mini, if you imagine this mini garden of plants all doing an incredible thing. And some people have more what we call good bacteria than others. And it's that ratio that can now potentially impact health outcomes how you're born impacts your gut microbiome. If you're born vaginally or via a C-section, if you lived in the city or you lived in the country, if you have a pet or you don't have a pet, all of these factors impact the bacteria and how efficiently you break down food. So the more diverse your diet, which is the research we now have from the American Gut Project, that 30 plants a week is really beneficial for your gut health. The more diverse your diet, the better your health outcomes such as weight people with different diverse bacteria that's beneficial has been shown potentially to maintain a healthier weight for longer periods of time. And then we've got research with depression, the fact that it could be more effective than conventional treatment for depression, the diet you eat and your gut health. So before I go off on a tangent, I want to say that my opinion on where we're at with personalized nutrition from gut health is that we're still not quite there. Mm -hmm. We're looking at it, we're exploring it. And it's not a fad but people are making it potentially a bit faddy because they're jumping on the bandwagon Mm. it's really important to say hey guys this is an amazing area and my gut health dietitians in the clinic would kill me if I were to come on this podcast and be like yay everyone needs to go and test their gut health because we just don't have those Mm. we don't have all the information yet
0: I think it's one of those health parameters that you don't necessarily need to be able to see you know it's like You don't know if your blood pressure is high, but there's things you can do in your lifestyle to improve your blood pressure control. And it's the same with the gut microbiome. You don't need a test to say... Well, most people don't need a test to say this is how diverse your gut microbiome is. You need to do the steps and trust the process.
1: But people don't like that. They want these quick fix answers. And in fact, we are at a bit of a crisis of health anxiety Mm. where everyone wants to measure it. I don't know if you remember, it was calorie counting. Then it's wearing watches that count your step count. And then that 10,000 steps a day came out of nowhere. There was no scientific evidence to back up 10,000 steps Mm. a day. And it's so interesting that we as human beings really want to measure our health. Mm. And I get it, but it has kind of triggered two camps here. The ones that say, yeah, I'm just gonna try, and my advice would be, eat more plants. Let's just get a healthier diet and try and nurture our gut microbiome. And then you've got the other side of the spectrum that are saying, no, I wanna do every test. I'm gonna spend a fortune on it and I'm gonna measure it. And then I wanna see and know, but the problem is, It's not going to tell you much more at the Mm. moment because we just don't know. Something
0: I think people need to be aware of is when you are in that headspace where you're wanting to spend all the money on the tests and you are being that kind of into the detail. Yeah you're not just doing one thing. So then you, I don't know, change one thing about your lifestyle and you think that's the reason, you know, this supplement or this (sighs) thing I've been doing, this exercise has changed my health. When actually, usually when you're in that headspace, you're also making sure you get enough sleep. You're also regularly exercising. You're also cooking from scratch.
1: And it's really hard to pinpoint what the positive action was. I mean, frankly, there's thousands of biological pathways, as you know, happening Mm. consistently. And how can you possibly just look at one pathway and think it's going to dictate your overall health outcome Mm. when there's so many factors? We should actually, perhaps, instead of creating more stress and health anxiety, be looking at the fact stress itself has a major role on our health. We know that stress is linked to chronic health conditions. We know exercise is really beneficial. We know diet's beneficial. We've really just got to simplify it a little bit. But just eat more plants. I can't emphasize, you know, 27% of the population, roughly, I think it went up by a percentage or two recently, get their five a day. But it's hard. How can we get more plants in our diet? Okay. So it doesn't just have to be, I'm going to go out and buy a carrot and eat a carrot. It literally is a case of every spice you add to your meal, every herb counts as like a quarter or half of a point. Even dark chocolate, if it's over 75%, counts as a plant point. It's a numerical system now, plant points. It's, oh, how many can I get? But honestly just add some chili flakes to a meal, just get cooking with a little bit of dried herbs in your cupboard, get Mm. those frozen peas out and chuck it in with your omelet. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture. It can be something so, so small. And it is surprisingly easy to get it if you don't eat the same five fruits and the same five vegetables every Mm. week. In clinic, I see the same fruits, banana, orange, apple, kiwi, pear. And then I'm like, well, there's so many fruits, we're so lucky in this country to have access to so much, mm. yet people don't utilize it. And we know berries are so beneficial for our brain health, they contain amazing flavonoids, antioxidants, but you can get those that are frozen, that'll be cheaper than your fruit bowl, you know, variety that you've got. And then you've got the same vegetables everyone eats every week, sweet corn, carrots, peas. I don't like to classify potatoes, technically they're a carbohydrate, but people use that as their vegetable count, they mm. shouldn't really. And then what would you say, peppers probably a push. There's so many vegetables out there, but we're just not doing it. Mm. So
0: just add one more in every week. I'm really on the seed hype. I'm adding seeds and yes. nuts to everything. Seeds, like a seed sprinkle. I love
1: that. And also mm-hmm. I predict, and I've been saying this for ages, but I think the next focus of health, and I hope it is, is going to be on omega-3 consumption. Yeah. And it was really interesting when I was writing the book, the book science of nutrition book I had to use guidelines in other countries because we have such a vague omega-3 guideline in the UK and just eat your oily fish each week most people don't eat oily fish and they Mm. don't like it Mm. so people are not getting enough omega-3 we know omega-3 is beneficial for the brain 60% of our brain is fat it's comprise many of those dha fatty acids which you get from oily fish nuts and seeds so people should also be focusing on that and that's a plant point getting Mm. seeds and nuts in so when we're talking about eating more plants do we need to be buying organic fruit and veg um if you can why not with organic if you can afford it but nutritionally speaking it's marginal in terms of the health benefits that you would be getting vitamins and minerals wise, you don't need to be buying organic, just wash things thoroughly. There is a slight debate now on consumption of some carbohydrates, like oats, and the fertilizers used on oats, glycophosphate, that people are raising awareness of. And I think organic oats, if you can afford them again, go for it. But nutritionally speaking, I'm talking it's so marginal. Mm. Any slight contamination you'd get from a non-organic product is not going to impact your overall health because we're just simply not consuming enough of them and it doesn't work that way.
0: Mm. And I saw you actually speak about this on another podcast about how frozen fruit Mm and veg is still nutritionally. Superior.
1: Superior. I would say it's superior in most cases. Frozen veg and fruit. And it caused a bit of controversy. I don't understand why. Because it's one of the first things we learn at university, but And I said this in that podcast, I said, it's like if you freeze a body and it's been preserved for thousands and thousands of years, you know, they find like an old mammoth or something up in the Arctic, which is amazing. You you freeze a vegetable, once it's plucked, it retains the nutrition compared to the vegetable that's been plucked, traveled a week to get there. Mm -hmm. Then it's put in a packet, it's exposed to oxygen, it loses a lot of its nutrition. So you're better off a lot of the time having frozen items anyway. And it's cheaper. Way cheaper, people living in a cost of living crisis. Inflation is insane. And we should not be demonizing the freezer. Most people can't tell me what's in their freezer. I want to see more ready sliced onions if that's what would help you cook Mm. in the morning and your peas from your freezer bag, your berries. You can get cauliflower florets frozen, Mm. spinach blocks you can get everything there, like chopped garlic and everything and it saves money because it doesn't go off in the fridge yeah so you just go and get it out the night before and then you can put it in the next day okay so i
0: need to clear out my ice cream drawer oh don't
1: clear out the <laughs> ice cream drawer though that can stay as a every now and again i love my ice cream
0: <laughs> we know for many people that often what they're choosing to eat is dictated by how they want their body to look so we've all been guilty of following a diet where we think if i eat this i'm gonna lose weight or if i eat this i'm going to build muscle or whatever is there a link between the foods we eat and actually how we feel is there a link between food and mood
1: yes so scientifically speaking to answer the food and mood link we've got data from the smiles trials which was full of rcts it's it's brilliant sorry randomized controlled trials are really high efficacy uh, really good quality studies that suggest that food is just as important if not more so than conventional treatment for depression. We know that serotonin around like 95% of it is developed in our gut. So the foods we eat have a knock on effect on those neurotransmitters, which I call them our happy hormones. Serotonin is our happy hormone. And that often is helped by the food we eat. So that pathway of happy hormone and then the conversion to melatonin, which helps with our circadian rhythms and our sleep cycles is really important. And diet supports that Mm. massively. Food and mood is huge. The more we can support the gut health via the foods we eat. Again, plant-based diets, everyone. That's why I've written my new book, The Science of Plant-Based Nutrition, because plant-based diets, I'll get onto that in a minute, isn't about going vegan. It's just adding more plants in. Yeah, And there is a connection with food and mood. But psychology is so intertwined into everything. Mm -hmm. And that's always been my passion from day one when I developed the Retrition Clinic and I wrote my first book, Renourished, in 2017. I did a whole section on, I called it Food Clinic, the chapter in the book, because how we feel about ourselves, our body image, our self-esteem. My dissertation at uni, one of my first ones, was on self-esteem and the correlation between your diet. And it was really hard to measure, actually. I remember talking to my professor about it, but I was so interested in how we eat and how it impacts our how we carry ourselves, our goals, our, our important things in life. And psychology just is everything because how we grew up, the environment we lived in, whether our parents were discussing food, how you nurture children today impacts their relationship with food, which then impacts how well they eat, which then impacts their mood. And that's down to the biological link just as much as psychological.
0: Yeah. And I think it's this like, I suppose it's a vicious cycle, but also yeah. a positive reinforcement on the other end of the spectrum. When I'm feeling good and I'm, I've am i got high self-esteem and when I'm really prioritizing self-care, I make the time to cook yeah. and I make the time to get up five minutes earlier and take my supplements or actually eat breakfast rather than grabbing on the go. And then you feel better for it. Mm. So it's like you do the positive behavior, you feel better. You're more likely to do the positive behavior.
1: Yeah, behavior enforcement is hard behavior yeah. change is is I'd say one of the most difficult aspects
0: especially if you're you know for those people who may be suffering low mood if you're in a deep dark depression oh, yeah. the thought of cooking a meal I is know.
1: like very and difficult. also you don't have to there's still choices you can make like I said on the go that would be all right but that's why we have psychologists in my clinic and mm. I think i there weren't really many nutrition focused clinics when I created Retrition that had in-house psychologists because Mm. you have to work together sometimes with your psychologist and your dietitian to get the maximum impact. I wish everyone had access to that on the NHS, don't you? I wish everyone, you know, even in my cancer
0: clinic, we don't have a nutritionist and it's so important. It's
1: That blows my mind. And again, it's an area... So this year, I'm excited I can actually share it on the podcast, I'm going to be launching a huge campaign to get 10,000 signatures when we're ready, when we have a new government to get registered nutritionists protected and then in return that means registered nutritionists can filtrate into the NHS and other areas and help support people alongside dietitians because I honestly don't think, I've got to point, if I don't do something about it, I can't live with myself and the conscience because I just think it's lacking And it's huge, like you said, you know, how we see our food world, I spoke about it in my TED talk, our food world and our food script, that is what we're conditioned to believe about food. Mm. Therefore, it's so hard to break that conditioning, what your family's saying in your ear, don't eat that, do eat that, Mm. that'll go to your hips, all these kind of phrases we've been conditioned to believe don't help our behavior change. No, absolutely. So moving on, you mentioned your
0: new book, The Science of Plant-Based Nutrition. Very exciting, congratulations. Thank you. I know you've been super interested in the science behind why this is important for a long while now. Should we all be going plant-based and what does that mean?
1: Let's bust the confusion around it because I'm not gonna lie. If I I were to see before I'd been educated in the subject, the word plant-based nutrition, I'd have assumed it means vegan. It doesn't mean vegan. Plant-based nutrition is not vegan. And that in itself, me saying that, I'll get a lot of hate for it because people just are very adamant it is. No, the data we have from the Lancet paper and the journals and the impact on the environment, on sustainability and on health outcomes is that the more plants you eat and the less animal produce, you don't have to give it up. It literally means just having one portion of red meat a week instead of having it every day. Yeah, It means switching from red meat more to white meats or to different types of fish that aren't being farmed. Like if, we, if we look at the state of the oceans at the moment, it's not a pretty picture at all, it's very sad. And most people just eat tuna or salmon. Mm. So, you know, it's about picking a different fish or cod, I guess, if you're in, you know, fish and chips here in the UK, that's our classic. But it is about diversity of diets. Plant-based nutrition is about reducing saturated fat intake, getting more fiber from eating more colorful plants Mm. about looking at the landscape of farming and actually creating more space for plant production because you can actually do vertical farming with plant-based diets because it means there are spaces now where farms because we've run out of land are growing things upwards Mm. you can't do that with agriculture you can't do that with livestock and actually 60 percent of the world population mass is livestock compared to around 30 which is humans Mm. just to give you an idea there's more livestock on this planet than us. And then less than 4% are wildlife
0: Mm.
1: of the mammals on this planet. So that to me paints a picture I'm very passionate about in perhaps our health isn't quite going the way we want it to because our focus is wrong. And then you're looking at, I think it's like 180 million children are living in poverty in this world. And to me, it makes me want to cry when I talk about it, because I just think, how can we have a world where some people have so much And other people have so little. And perhaps the solution could just be cut back a bit on your animal produce. I'm not telling people to give it up. And let's help inspire people to enjoy things which are cheaper, not as expensive, and still contain protein like your beans and pulses, which in the blue zones in the world help people live longer. Mm. So it, it really is, as you could tell, something I'm really deeply passionate about the next book. And I have so many sections in there, even a whole cooking section on what's the difference using an air fryer versus, you know, a hot pressure cooker or using your microwave even. And I, I break everything down in the next book, which mm. you can pre-order now. It's out in June and it will help people hopefully mm. learn more about their health. Yeah,
0: because I think there's this real kind of ingrained culture that your plate is like not full if
1: there's not a piece of meat on it it's also a gender thing so I did a load of research for the book on male attitudes towards food and female attitudes toward food which is really hard to quantify actually when you look at it and you're writing it down and there is a gender stereotype of oh I'm not a man or I'm not you know if I'm not eating my meat every day yeah it's really interesting yet some of the most popular athletes in the world I'm not saying everyone needs to go vegan but Serena Williams is and she is the greatest female athlete potentially of all time or up there with them then you've got lewis hamilton and very vocal yeah. people that say they don't need it to succeed i'm saying just just make one little change just do a meat free monday mm. and you can enjoy what you like let's all just do something yeah
0: i think as well even if it's if people who are eating meat very regularly and like you say just cut it out of one meal a week you do not need it three times a day that's no for sure. i think it's interesting that you know sometimes yeah. people are having a bacon sandwich for breakfast just- you know, a ham sandwich for lunch and then A shepherd's pie for dinner
1: we also can't get away from the fact that one of the known carcinogens which you all know being a doctor working in cancer is that red and processed meat increases your risk of cancer Mm. bowel cancer you you can't get away from that fact so for anybody listening i don't want to scare you i just want you to try and swap like do half bolognese mince with half lentils or beans or something lentils contain iron mixed with the vitamin c and tomatoes it's really bioavailable so
0: there is a way yeah i actually make your lentil Shepherd's pie with the sweet potato still, top. Yeah, that was from recipe. back in 2017. I oh, still make that. And then my boyfriend always asks, Where's the meat?
1: Yeah. Do you <laughs> see what I mean though? But I also, you know, it's an interesting thing. I don't discuss my personal situation a lot, but with my husband, it's been a really interesting shift for him to see me embark upon this new book and to see the changes. And interestingly, he eats meat when he goes out to a restaurant because we really enjoy it, because we can't cook it as good as the chefs do yeah. in a restaurant. So enjoy it if you go out. And we don't have it at home anymore. And it used to be something we did. Yeah, so I raise my kids plant-based. Doesn't mean they're vegan. It just means they have more plants. The ratio is higher. Yeah. I saw that lovely
0: clip you posted where your son was getting excited about eating a broccoli because you just taught him know What's so
1: interesting is I could put on, and this is why kids are amazing. I mean, he's going to school in September, so it's probably all going to change. But at least I've had four years of good eating. You put broccoli on a plate next to a croissant in a bowl. He would just eat them both neutrally. He wouldn't have a preference and think, oh, broccoli. Mm. He eats it whole. He like, broccoli makes me strong. That's what he says. And oh. then he's got his croissant and he would eat the croissant too. Yeah. But we lose that. We lose that innate human being intuitive eating because society starts to surround us when we go to school. And then they start saying, I don't like that because their friends don't like it. And mm. what can you do? I- I'm ready for that phase of life, but I've done what I can under four. <laughs> <laughs> good, good luck. So with
0: Retrition Plus, you are the go-to for all things supplements. And it's really frightens me that again, supplements is such an unregulated industry and anyone can basically create a supplement. But I know that you're so committed to making the highest quality supplements that are actually backed by science. What supplements actually have evidence behind them?
1: supplements is i mean we could have a whole podcast on supplements the onus is on the manufacturer to regulate which is why it's so wild which is why there's always claims that are completely illegal to be honest on supplement packets and by the time the advertising standards agency has got hold of the incorrect claim it doesn't matter because the only the only thing they can say is you just have to reprint everything Mm -hmm. so brands try and sell things with these amazing claims And there's even research to show that when you order pills online, some of the pills that you get don't contain anything that you think you've ordered. I think people have to be so careful. They're buying these huge packs of collagen or protein. They don't know what's in that powder. Take it to a lab, analyze it. Then you'll find out if it's actually legitimate. So the regulation is crazy. Retrition Plus, I actually got the idea in lockdown because my first son was born in 2020 at the peak of the first wave. He needed vitamin D drops. I was amazed. There was no single vitamin D for children that didn't have a sweetener in it or wasn't made with coconut oil or something. So I've made an extra virgin olive oil drop with algae based vitamin D, the highest quality and that's it. It's just two ingredients in my kids' vitamin D. Mm. Look at other brands, you'd be amazed at what you see them put in, even palm oil. And you just think, how have we got into this state where even our children are being sold vitamins and supplements A, they don't need. Mm. So what do people need? Most people need vitamin D for sure. We just sadly don't get the weather here in the UK. It's a bit of a depressing state. Oh, it's rainy and miserable outside oh, today. it's not a good day today. Vitamin D you can get from algae. Most brands use sheep's wool because it's cheaper. I don't think that's very ethical. So I source mine straight from where algae comes from in the British Sea. That's where we get our algae from because it's more sustainable and I don't have a carbon footprint for that. Then... Pregnancy, if women are going through pregnancy, if they're elderly and need any help, perhaps of calcium or fortification. And the only other supplement I'd say people needed is if they're plant based and they don't eat much animal produce or they're vegan, they need a plant based multi that has B12, especially because you can really only get that from animal sources these days. There's a lot of camps online that say you can get it from soil and plants, but the quality of the soil today is like minimal compared to what it used to be. So sadly, we just don't get the amount of B12 we used to get. 100 years ago Mm. so times have changed but the reason my range has four products is because that's really all you need the one thing i'd love to make is an omega-3 but it's so expensive because i'd want to do it properly Mm. i don't want to use cod liver oil i don't want to use things that go rancid very quickly in supplements and it has to be high quality so yeah retrition plus is my baby really in terms of supplements and you mentioned you just have four products can people take too many supplements yes increases their risk of cancer people come to us in the clinic with a long list and it's known to not help and make things worse and you've got to imagine I was taught at university the analogy of a bus so say you're all the different vitamins and minerals are queuing in your multi to get onto your bus the dosage of each individual vitamin and mineral is really important because who's going to get on the bus first whoever gets on the bus first gets to the destination quicker and off you're not going to absorb all of the nutrients in a multi, especially the, God, the biggest waste or probably a vitamin C tablet that most mm. people take. So you just pee it out. You see it in your urine. It will be bright yellow. And so many people put a multitude of high dose ingredients or low dose just to show a tick box on a multi of things that will have no impact on your body whatsoever. You're looking at it thinking, oh, that's great. It's got this. It's got that. It's got that. Actually, the more ingredients, sometimes the worse the product because there's no way you can absorb all of it. And when I was making the pregnancy multivitamin, I think we are the only brand to have the amount of nutrients we have in it because I wasn't just gonna put something in a pregnancy multi for the sake of a tick box that I know is going to do nothing for a woman who needs it Mm. anyway. It's a wild area of nutrition
0: and how can people know which ones to buy? Because I always think it's a bit frightening that people walk into a health food shop and they ask the person working in the health food shop which supplement to buy, but they're not probably
1: not the best person to advise you on that. And they're often trained by the shop. Mm. You know, obviously these people genuinely believe that they are helping But actually, it's probably not helpful to go there for your advice at all. A lot of the time, because the shop just has to sell. Profit margins are huge. The supplement industry is one of the most rich, successful, profitable industries in the world. And that's because of the lack of regulation. So who to trust? Because there's no regulation, someone with a health professional behind the brand. Again, some charlatan health professionals that aren't really health professionals that can get away with it because there's no regulation online, call themselves experts, and then they sell a supplement. Um, Have they got trials behind them? Are they actually supplements that have been shown to have a benefit on your health? Or is it called a hair burst? Or is it called a miracle detox pill? Have a look at the claims on the packet, have a look at the person behind it, and really just delve deep into where it's coming from. because. I mean, you don't need BCAAs. There's no evidence really that they're they're useful in sports world. Magnesium is another really interesting one that I see a lot of health professionals talk about. But the reality of the type of magnesium that's put into a supplement and whether it has any impact on your health is really negligible Mm. versus what you get from diet. So we're we're just not there yet. Mm. But people are making these formulas left, right and center. Mm. I saw something recently about L-glutamine and gut health. Again, oh my goodness, my gut health dietitians were having a failed day when they saw that. I've seen people sell bloat pills. I've seen L-glutamine being mentioned as this healing gut line. There's just no robust data to suggest yeah. that it's something everyone should be purchasing. You're way better off focusing on food first. Mm. It's probably awful for my supplement company, Nutrition Plus, but we're food first because you cannot beat the impact of food on your diet. There's not enough robust research ugly our glutamine yeah. at all for me to say everyone should be going out there and taking it. It's the same with collagen for aging. I think people get really swept up in this and actually if we're honest with ourselves
0: Mm. have we really got the fundamentals in place if you're not cooking home meals if you're not focusing on getting 30 different plants a week if you're not exercising if you're not sleeping well if you're not taking measures to reduce stress your focus should probably be on that before supplementation
1: let's also call supplements ultra processed foods Mm. you know green powders ultra processed foods there I saw another dietitian recently post it's basically freeze dried vegetable powder that you've taken out and you're shoving into a bottle and adding water to it and you expect it to have the same impact as eating a vegetable it just doesn't work that way collagen the quality of collagen that you get there might be some research as I'm sure you know for joint health Mm. but you're better off eating protein and getting that from your diet Mm. rather than supplementing that ultra processed powder that people seem to spend a 100 quid or more on that's what I find amazing is that it's expensive if you've got the money to spend a 100 pounds on a green juice once a month I'd much rather people just try and break that budget down and get some more fruit and mm. have a piece of fruit as a snack one day and you're probably going to get more benefits yeah I think it's dangerous
0: if you think oh I've taken this today so I need, yeah. I don't need to focus on my diet exactly. um I think if it's like a supplement it's not going to harm but it's it, you can't neglect no. that you need to still focus on diet
1: absolutely there's no miracle pill. so there's loads of
0: trending topics on social media and in magazines and on the internet that get lots of airtime okay we've talked about ultra processed food and yes. um, someone actually asked me to ask you okay. through social media what your thoughts are on refined sugar
1: yeah i'm amazed actually it's interesting this is still coming around because this was really topical i used to give talks about sugar just Sugar, and I'd go into these cafes in London when I first started out as a nutritionist to talk about it. Sugar is sugar, it doesn't matter if sugar's from coconut sugar if it's brown sugar it's just got added molasses the problem is we're just having too much of it in our diets because it's in things you wouldn't expect like tomato sauces and it all adds up across the day you know it's just a neutral kind of thing to me there's no added benefit for having it but gosh does it taste good I mean you know look I think the one benefit is manuka honey which is so expensive and it has to be monofloral, so it's all from the one flower with the bees pollinating in the one specific thing rather than a variant of species of flower and pollen and there's some antibiotic bacterial benefits to having manuka honey not in a hot drink because you destroy those benefits but by itself on a teaspoon Mm. and that's a form of sugar that might be beneficial but it's also really bad for the environment to have so much honey so maybe people should be looking at maple syrup if they're sweetening things and they don't want to be just adding cane sugar sugar is sugar if you're going to eat sugar enjoy it and savor it and then look forward to your next portion when you have it. And what about sugar from fruit versus
0: sugar that, you know, like a tablespoon of sugar? So
1: a tablespoon of sugar is made up of Oh no, a tablespoon is probably a large quantity of teaspoon (laughs) of sugar. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, looking at it, you cannot compare fruit and white sugar because white sugar is glucose and fructose as a molecule put together to make cane sugar. Fruit is just fructose. Fructose gets metabolized in our liver. And if you have a high quantity from a fruit juice, for instance, the problem is when people are guzzling more than a portion, mm. very quickly our body has to process that. It's a very quick amount of sugar for your liver to get through in terms of fructose. Whereas when you're absorbing cane sugar with glucose and fructose, it probably will work on the glucose ratio first while the fructose goes to the liver. And I'm, very, I'm simplifying something that's very complex here. I'd rather you eat fruit and not worry about fruit sugar because mm. you're having fiber with the fruit. You're having nutrition and nutrients. Fruits not the problem. The problem is ultra processed foods with added sugar, salt, and fat. Why do we love ice cream? Fat and sugar combined is perfect a beautiful combination. combination. Same as cake and it's, same as biscuit. It's biscuits. like
0: the Krispy Kreme glazed donut is apparently fifty percent fat, fifty percent sugar, and it's oh, like it's our perfect.
1: perfect. There you go. They got a scientific perfect
0: formula. <laughs> so on that, when we're in the supermarket shopping, say we were picking up a yogurt,
1: should we be picking the full fat option or the zero percent these days it's what works for you and your goals purely because the added sugar isn't as much of a problem i think most people are more savvy now they know if you get a fruit flavored yogurt it's gonna have added sugar Mm. and i think low fat still for some people is a good option if they are overweight if they are looking at their heart perhaps heart disease runs in the family in some shape or form because saturated fat in dairy we don't want too much. And in fact, most people, again, are having too much saturated fat because it's in ultra-processed foods we don't see. Mm-hmm. So when you opt for your yogurt, 0% is fine if there's no added sugars. Just as much as the full fat version, there might be a marginal difference in the amount of calcium you get or omega-3 from a item phosphorus. But actually, nutritionally speaking, they're not that different. Okay. I wouldn't worry too much. Yeah. And also, like you said, it's kind of everything in moderation, like not having too much. And also satisfaction. If you know you love that full fat Greek yogurt, I'd rather you have that and have less of it than overeat a tub of low fat. That's Mm. like the ice cream analogy. People go for these, they want to eat zero calorie ice cream, eat the whole tub. And we've got research now potentially that these artificial sweeteners are not great for our gut health as well. Mm. So there's a lot to weigh up. Yeah, artificial sweeteners, such an
0: interesting topic yeah. because for so many health parameters, they make these claims, you know, like they're carcinogenic where it's not necessarily been proven, mm. but some of the claims around gut health actually have a
1: little bit more research to them. But people hang on to this like one negative health thing. Yeah, they're not carcinogenic yet. As you know, they weren't classified by the, what is it, the ROC, I can't the RAC. There's a board that classifies items as potentially carcinogenic. Red and processed meat is way higher up the list than artificial sweeteners. Mm. I would not worry. And I know there was a lot of controversy recently comparing Coke to orange juice. That in itself was a complete mismatch. And I don't think it was meant to be conveyed in that way. You cannot compare Coke to orange juice. Orange juice is nutritionally superior. Just stick to 150 ml. Don't guzzle 330 ml, Mm. which are most carton sizes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And plant milks. I love an oat cappuccino. I've recently found out that all plant milks are not necessarily equal. Talk to me about what we should be looking for when we're picking up oh,
1: a plant milk thing. I, I honestly, I just don't understand why it's become such a thing. I really feel sorry for oat milk because oat milk was never trying to be this nutritionally amazing drink. It just tastes nice. And it is just carbs and water because oats are carbohydrates. You're mainly drinking water and yeah, it's going to cause a blood sugar spike, but so does eating anything that's just carbs. It, it just, to me, it blows my mind. There's about 3%, if you're lucky, 2 to 3% almonds in almond milk. It's just water. Mm. Soy milk is more superior because it contains protein that's similar to dairy if you're making a switch from cow's milk to soy milk. Still, soy milk is slightly more beneficial for the environment than cow's milk if you look at the stats on gas emissions versus rainforest and all those other factors to pull in. But honestly, if you're just having a nice little oat milk latte, I wouldn't worry about it too much. It's people that are having it in their cereals and things or they're consuming a large quantity of plant mm. milks. You probably want to think about if you're having it for the fortification. The oils that appear in plant milk are simply there to help add vitamins and minerals. And for the frothiness of a plant milk to replicate what cow's milk does when you froth it up. It's such a tiny nominal amount that I just, I just wouldn't worry about it. Mm. But people are terrified about rapeseed oil being added into a milk. And actually, cold-pressed rapeseed oil has the same amount of similar benefits to olive oil, so it's not bad for you. But there's a bizarre camp online that want to hate. They get very angry. <laughs> very angry. <laughs> and you just touched on oils there. Oils
0: I also get so much airtime. Even I'm confused why it. The be new sugar,
1: with. isn't it? People are terrified of oil just like sugar.
0: When I was at university, coconut oil was having its day. Oh, I remember. And yeah. we were making all of these cakes with coconut oil instead of I butter. I know. Is extra virgin olive oil still the most superior one? Yeah,
1: you can't you just can't go wrong But just because it's got more data, it's more research to have healthy components for our hearts. It's got this monounsaturated fatty acids. It's got a good proportion of omega-3, less saturated fat. The coconut oil is huge amounts of saturated mm. fat. And it should be used for higher smoke point recipes or maybe desserts sometimes. I like the taste of coconut oil. I use it in curries and things. But olive oil should be the preference for everybody, in my opinion, because it is most researched. But you've got to remember a portion is a portion. Yeah. That's where we get problems. And in America, it's a total different ballgame with mm-hmm. how they process and create oil.
0: I know we're not saying any foods off limits, but if someone's just doing their weekly shop and they are picking a particular oil and they don't necessarily know it's not the best one, is there any oils you avoid in that situation? So
1: olive oil is expensive, but it will last longer if you portion it out. Get a dark glass bottle because we know that exposure to light impacts the antioxidant capacity of olive oil or any benefits. Go for glass, not plastic. And I would go for extra virgin olive oil. I get a huge vat of it. It's the one item on my shopping list I will not compromise on with cost. Mm. It's not worth going for the other options if you're able to get that and make a switch every now and again. Just kind of avoid using a lot of vegetable oil in cooking because it's often a mix of multiple oils. Okay, But oil theres no denying oil is expensive these days and you've got to ration it out. Thank you for that so you'll know from my social media i'm often advocating for women's health yeah
0: should women be eating differently to men
1: yeah absolutely i mean we've got estrogen receptors in our gut lining which is why we bloat around that time of month our digestion slows down or speeds up as you know we'll get more constipated around certain times of the month some women experience severe digestive discomfort through the menopause Women also lose a lot of iron around that time of month. We should be 100% research more, as you know. I mean, you're the expert here on that. You know perfectly well that we just don't have enough data versus men in the world of the scientific community. We need to be thinking about conception. We should be told from a young age that we need to focus on folate and dark leafy greens in our diet. Because the advice we have is to give a synthetic form of folic acid three months prior to conception. Most people don't know they're pregnant when they find out they're pregnant and they haven't been taking folic acid. Mm. And that can impact the health of your baby. And 90% of pregnancies that were researched recently in multiple countries, including Norway from recollection, women who were pregnant were not meeting the nutritional demands they were meant to be meeting, which is why they should be supplementing. So our Bone health, when we stop creating as much estrogen because of the menopause, our bones are at risk. I think women deserve a big look in when it comes to the building blocks of our hormones, our fats, our protein. We're told to restrict, restrict, restrict Mm. for image. Our whole life, it's how you look. It's not. Just eat a bit of a smaller portion compared to a man. And it's not, we should be focusing on our Mm. nutrients. Why should we not be as strong? Why should we not be focusing on our muscle mass like men do? There's a huge problem and it's systemic when it comes to image, women and diet. That's something I feel we could talk for a whole hour about. Maybe in a future season, we'll have to do a whole episode on that.
0: So we're coming to the end of our conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours. For someone listening today, some of those might feel quite overwhelming and lots of things to change. What are some takeaway tips that people can implement into their diet today that are gonna make a positive difference?
1: I don't want people to be overwhelmed, but sadly I can't control the narrative online at the moment with nutrition. And as we know, bad news seems to travel faster. There's data on that than good news. (laughs) It's the way of the world. But what I can say to all of your listeners is invest in your health. Think long term. Try and think do I want to be strong when I'm 80 or do I want to be reliant on other people? So the nutrition that you focus today, and that can simply be add one more item to your shopping list that you wouldn't normally buy, add a parsnip one weekend instead of a carrot or get both. You know, just mix it up a little bit and really think about who you trust to give nutrition information. If someone's trying to sell you a product or they sound too good to be true or what they're saying is so out there and they're saying it with such conviction, often it's not right. You don't get nutrition professionals saying it's one size fits all. Mm. Some people have to eat meat to be healthy others don't. You can't get around the fact everyone's got different ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures, religious beliefs. You are all truly unique. And yeah, that, that I, guess, I guess that's what I have to say. I should be saying pre-order my book for June, but I think the best information <laughs> is the information that you have control over today, which is to improve your health little by little every day. Absolutely. And
0: I have a little tradition on this podcast where I ask every guest, what is your vision of health?
1: What does health look like to you? If you'd asked me that question pre-kids, it would have been a different answer. But now I've got my children, I look at health as happiness and I look at health as being able to just do what I want to do every single day without being in discomfort. So to me, health is happy aging, which is a complete different outlook that I would have had you know I've got to be around for my my little ones I want to be there I don't want them to have to worry about me as I age I want them to still think "Oh, mum's strong you know Mm -hmm. ah that's that would be my vision of health being happy and just able to do what I want to do love that
0: yeah I love how everyone's answer on this season has been completely different and I love that one thank you so much if people want to hear more from you where can they find
1: you Well, these days it's all online, isn't it? The Retrition Clinic's remote as well. If you want to book in with one of the clinicians, uh, just any Retrition social media platform, the books are in all the shops. Amazon, you can pre-order the next book, The Science of Plant-Based Nutrition, which is great for myth-busting. And I cover plant milks and oils and things in there as well to break it down for you. And then, yeah, Retrition Plus is where you can go to get your vitamin D because everyone should be taking it around the year for some. Yeah, drop me an email or a message. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Frankie.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Vision of Health. I hope you take away some realistic and practical health advice that you can actually incorporate in your busy lives to become the healthiest version of yourself. If you want to hear more from me, then make sure you hit the subscribe button, share this episode, and also go follow me on Instagram at DrFrankieJS, where I post a regular series of Women's Health Wednesdays with our wonderful sponsors, FemFresh you can also catch on socials at FemFresh underscore UK and on their website, FemFresh.co.uk. I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,